Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Welcome to Drive-by Cinema, episode six. Welcome, everybody. This is my co-host, Paul. And his name's Richard. Hello. Hi, everybody. I'm Richard. Now, do we have any admin work to do this week? We probably do, but uh, it's not that I'm not in the mood for it. It's just that I haven't really thought about that, Richard. I'm sorry. I don't think we've made any mistakes of late. I think oh, we've I, done I, away I, with it. I have. I said I'm not at liberty to... I'm not at liberty... I was talking about Sting and how he paid uh, my neighbor, my childhood neighbour to be his au pair. I said I'm not... And you are at liberty. I said I'm not at liberty to dispose how much you pay, but I'm not at liberty to disclose how much you pay. So that is a serious error. Well, we don't really have any letters from listeners this week. Well, I hope Sing's not listening. He's probably thinking, who is this man? Has he got some dirt on me? Just in case he's got dirt on me, I think I'll go and pay him a visit. I haven't, I just think I don't know anything about your private life. So I'm relax. fairly sure he will be listening now. Now he knows that we've reviewed Dune. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, he played a very wise part there. You know, he didn't reveal any weaknesses by, well, by, by doing nothing, you see. So. The wise man. In that, in that, uh, in that cast, which brings us, I think, neatly to this week's movie, which is called Mute. Mute, it's a 2018 film. It's available on Netflix. I think it was a Netflix. It was film. released on Netflix, I think. Yeah, but then, I mean, that's, I mean, that's normal these days, right? So Alexander the... Skarsgård or Skarsgård is is the lead, yeah. But there's also somebody very famous in Paul Rudd, who kind of plays the, um, I wouldn't say the bad guy, but certainly plays. Uh, the antagonist in the main, the main, the major antagonist in the movie. Well, yeah, good guy, bad guy. Yeah, he is a bad guy. Yeah, let's yes, let's not complicate matters. The idea then behind this film is uh, Leo, the lead, the protagonist, is an, a young Amish boy. Actually, Amish. Yes. In fact, the whole film starts with that uh, Amish quotation. Yes, this movie was brought to you by the National Conservative Family Council. Do you mean that one? No. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. It it goes, in order to mould his people, God often had to melt them. And then it begins with a dead blonde Aryan boy in the water. Or so we see. He's not dead. I know. That's the hero. He's not dead, dead, but he looks dead. He's He's been hit by a boat propeller. Oh, and heck. this is going to render him mute because it slashes his throat. I mean, what are bo- boat propellers doing on an Amish lake? That's what I want to know. I, I guess it's not an Amish lake. Is well, what's it? he doing on a on a heathen's lake? This is it, isn't it? They don't understand the ways of the the world, the modern world. They don't understand it. Well, well, this is interesting because uh, there's a, there's a typical presumption that the Amish are one backward and two poor, and this is not true. Uh, you know, they just use traditional technologies. However, their society is, is relatively advanced in many respects. Not to be confused with the Mennonites, who look like them but aren't the same. Ah, that, I didn't know that. And Amish build each other's houses. They, they have this sudden urge to volunteer to build each other's houses in a completely unplanned and spontaneous way. What do you think about the Amish lifestyle, then? Peaceful? Somewhat uh, constraining? I don't know. I mean, very good would work. You don't think it's just crackers to go around living your life in a, you know the vain attempt to banish modern technology from it? I mean, why do they draw the line at horses and carts? Why is that technology fine? But, you know, an internal combustion engine isn't. Or, <laughs> you know, what, are you, are you possible... You... Are you asking me to, to defend these people in court on this charge? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want you to advocate for them. Okay. Uh, well, I can't really. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it seems to be an arbitrary cutoff point, doesn't it? Exactly. It's absolutely bonkers. Ah, now that doesn't necessarily follow. Oh. The fact that it's an arbitrary cutoff point doesn't mean it's an, an, an invaluable or valuable, invaluable meaning valuable. It doesn't mean it's a, a, a cutoff point without value necessarily does it 
but we just don't happen to know what the justification is. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it it could have all kinds of virtue, but we are unaware of the reasoning. And that's an epistemological problem on our part. Sure. Yeah, I mean, unless Amish people would like to write in and explicitly, explicitly explain why they Please don't. Please do not. Do not do that. They don't. <laughs> they don't attain to or, or use modern technology. So we're not, I'm not entirely sure when his accident happened, but we wind up seeing him in a, a future Berlin. In fact... Sorry, you were saying 30 years later he's in... You think it's 30 years? Oh, it says 30 years, doesn't it? It, it, does, say it does say 30 years later. Because oh, yeah. they did it in a really clever way. He goes swimming again. He's a big swimmer. Well, stop there, yes. 30 years later he's an aspiring Esther Williams. You know, he's kind of doing the underwater synchronised swimming stuff. I thought Who's like, Esther Williams? She's one of the most highly paid synchronised swimming film stars of the 1930s, I guess. You don't see that very often, do you, in films these days? You don't. No, you don't see people stepping down fountain-esque, fountain esque <laughs> fountain step steps of fountains or fountains of steps, and then jumping into a, a pool one by one kind of thing. No. Mostly because I imagine so much electricity and water these days <laughs> would not be allowed. Would you say that? But when he was swimming, he was swimming next to a huge LCD TV that was submerged in the swimming pool. Was he? Yeah, it had like images of dolphins on it. Now at this point, and the point, words oh, thirty years later, superimposed over. <laughs> that is true, but it seemed like a very mundane swimming pool. Now this is a weird thing. Okay, so there were many things about this about this version of the future that seemed quite like an institutional past. You know, very sort of you know the tiles in the swimming pool, uh, the brutalist architecture in the streets, kind of thing. So there was this like past and future take on everything. I guess really they just chose some sites in Berlin to shoot and therefore East uh, Berlin sites presumably. Yes. Now, but then uh, at this point we don't really know that it's particularly the future. I think we have at this point seen his apartment in in Berlin or not. Maybe not. I don't recall no. seeing his apartment. Though. Which is done up like an Amish kind of house except it's not an Amish house. It's, it's in the middle of Berlin. But you see at this point he steps outside the swimming pool and we get our first indication that this is this is the future. Because there's a giant street sweeper that looks like a Sinclair C5. Oh that's right. No he looks out the window and he's seeing yeah the giant street sweeper yeah. That looks like a Sinclair C5 yeah. yeah. So that's our first intimation really that uh, they're not going to try too hard to make this look like a big version of the future. So anyway, I've I popped my LCD TV into the bath, uh, and I'm going I'm going to hop in later and see if it looks different when I'm underwater. Well, I think at this point we're going to realise this is the future, and the future is different. And it's glad I was really glad to see a future cityscape appearing pretty much after the street sweeper that indicated check three things: check one, flying cars; uh, check two, neon All billboards; the cars, yeah. neon billboards; yeah. and check three, laser night strobes into the sky. Well done there. Very imaginative. Yeah, it's your vertical city with hovercars. It's quite an impressive sight. So here again, this director, this British director, paying homage to another classic British director, Ridley Scott, and Blade Runner, right? I mean, this scene is directly out of Blade Runner. Who is the director in this one? Who could it possibly be? I don't know. It couldn't be, perhaps... The son of David Bowie, could it? Oh, thank you, thank you. He could be the son of David Bowie, yeah. Yeah, this is the second movie by Duncan Jones that we've watched. The important thing about this is it's in the same cinematic universe as Moon. Because, I don't know if you recall, but about halfway in, you see on the television, you see courtroom pictures of a hearing with... Good old Sam Bell. Oh, this is the first joke of the movie, isn't it? <laughs> the first joke, and not the last joke, but maybe the next to last joke of the movie. <laughs> oh, what's the joke? What's the joke? What's the joke? Well, this first joke is there's not just one Sam in the courtroom. Uh, when, when the judge calls his name, uh, s- several Sams say, hey, that's my name too, you see. That's right, yeah. I thought that was very, very funny. But if you hadn't seen Moon, it would make absolutely no sense to you. No, it wouldn't. It would just be some people talking on the TV. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if they shot that especially for this film, 
or whether that was a scene that he filmed for Moon and he's just reusing it here. Because ah. he'd have to get that Sam Rockwell fun. back and a lot more of his clones, wouldn't you? Uh, if you had to film it again. <laughs> I think you're right. I think it, it was a leftover from from uh, the cutting, the, you know, the, the cutting room floor in the previous movie. Yeah. So this guy, Leo, our mute hero. Sorry, can I just stop you there, Richard? Sorry, sorry, sorry. I was glad to see the hovercars were designed with the aesthetic of the very famous indestructible micro-animal, micro-animal the tardi, tardigrade in mind. Do you know the tardigrade? I do know the tardigrade, or the water bear. The water bear, thank you. It's an easier name to remember. It Famously by. indestructible microscopic animal. Tardigrades are very popular these days in science fiction. It got used in the Star Trek Discovery series. Except it was a sort of room-sized one, a really big one. I see. Well, they've travelled through space for five days, haven't they? Unharmed. For five days, unharmed? Yeah. But how did they get yes. to space? Well, we fired it off into it was us. space, didn't yeah. we? The tardigrades get all the yes. credit, but we put them there. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> well, the hovercraft moves through the shots, and then we are treated to being transported in time in this movie, to the set of Total Recall, which I loved. Oh, you mean in, in the strip club? Well, just at the beginning and everywhere, it, essentially it was Total Recall, you know. The busy street scenes, you know, and that kind of nonsense. So our hero, he works as a barman in a strip club. Is it a strip club, or is it one of those joints where they just collect your money, and a clip joint where they collect your money and run? Well, there was no real stripping going on on screen. I wonder what I wonder what um, age rating... I think it was a clip What joint. age rating did this film get? I mean, there is a robot stripper, which I think is naked, mm. but of no interest whatsoever because it's just ugly, isn't it? Or did you find that attractive? I didn't particularly find the robot with the pendulous metallic breasts <laughs> dancing attractive. <laughs> However, the second appearance of the robots in the little, the little, I don't know who it was, the man dressed like a Chinese or a Japanese ice thief of some sort, maybe a Japanese geisha girl. He was in drag. Oswald. There were two very impressive sex dolls there. <laughs> mechanical. Mechanical. I don't sex know. They looked a little bit industrial. I'm not sure I would necessarily want to be too close to them when they started them up. You'd you want to have very careful control on the, the speed dial, I think. Right. So Leo is back working, as you say, as a waiter. A, a, barman, a barman, not a waiter. His girlfriend is a waiter. And he must be very glad because he's back to the Amish homeland of uh, Deutschland, you know, so... Unconsciously. Did they have Amish living in Germany, then? Who am I? Somebody knowledgeable about this matter? I don't know. You were advocating for them before. (laughs) I've got no idea. I don't know. Probably. I I imagine there aren't. I imagine it's like a US, a stateside fetishisation of old-worldy things. That would never happen in Europe. Oh, like Irish, Irish. I've got Irish citizen. Yeah. I've got Irish heritage. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Now, just before they head into the bar for the first time, or nightclub, or night box, whatever you want to call it, we get the eternal problem of, of, of these presentations of Futurama, which is, although the future is very sophisticated, there is no replacement for really echoey PA announcements throughout the streets. <laughs> this is a feature of all... Films of the future is like really bad quality PAs announcing things about security and citizens should do this and that. I don't know why is that decision to make really bad quality PAs. Is Bang & Olsen bankrupt in the future or something? What's well, moreover, you don't really get PA systems addressing the public at large in cities at the moment, do you? It's a very rare thing. Very rare. So I I never know about that decision, the the decision to go with those kind of stylistics about the future. So anyway, you were saying, Rich, he's working in a bar and... She's working in a bar, their boyfriend and girlfriend, and they go out and have a romantic Mm. date, don't they? And and she gives him uh, a mobile phone, which she said was the oldest, simplest phone she could get. As far as I could tell, what that means is it was a window. So she was working as a waitress in a cocktail bar when she met him. Is that right? (laughs) Presumably. Well... Cocktail bar is a very highfalutin word to use, isn't it? Okay. They got a meal delivered by drone. Now, this is an excellent lockdown idea, is having a little drone flying with your with your. Take-up. It was just an Amazon drone, wasn't it? I mean, the ones Amazons have quietly dropped developing, I think. Yeah, they were going to fly into your back garden, weren't they? Within three minutes. Mm. Yeah, I want them. Well, I think there's... Them? 
is it the airspace problem or just the fact that they could go haywire quite easily or people would shoot them down? Well, you've presented a whole slew of possible <laughs> objections there. Yes, yes, yes. I should be standing outside Heathrow with my placard. <laughs> Why Heathrow? Well, just in case the the drones are unloading product there. <laughs> okay, and what were your, what were your placards saying? No to flying drones, obviously. But I mean, it would be a, you don't want it would be a highly prosaic placard. Well, I don't know actually. I, I do really. I'm just I'm just assuming a part here, but. Yeah. I think terrestrial drones... I would love it. When the second drone arrives and delivers stuff to him, the window yes. opens automatically. It flies that's not into his the apartment, apartment though. and drops that's, it off. That's, that's amazing. Kuba's. That's it, Luba's. it doesn't matter because Luba's he's, got, he's got the phone. or, or what. Ah, yeah, but he put the address in, hadn't he, on the order earlier. I think yeah, that's yeah, why. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so he's working at a cocktail bar when he met her. And there's the interesting prospect out of this movie... Uh, of a lead male role who is dumb or mute. In yes. Blade Runner, they end up, perhaps against Ridley Scott's wishes, adding a voiceover, film noir style. Yes, they do. Yes, yeah. Yeah, unless you're seeing one of the director's cuts where they removed it. And then we've just watched Dune, where, you know, everything is voiced aloud in a, in a yeah. narrative voiceover. And here we've got this movie where the protagonist doesn't speak at all, and he... You get no voiceover at all, <laughs> even though it has all these film noir pretensions. Maybe it's consciously trying not to be that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why he decided to do that. Now, when the the little the little drone was like UFO shaped, the first one. I don't know about the second one, and uh, it came flying at a feral pace, and it, its its package that it was carrying was held on like a, a flexible coat hanger kind of thing that was hinged to the bottom of the UFO-shaped uh, drone. And as the UFO slows, the package swings violently forward, and yet the drone is not destabilised and there's no pressure jet stabilising it. So I thought in science terms that was a bit naff, really, the flight of the drone with a swinging undercarriage. Yeah, but they'd be computer-stabilised, wouldn't they? Have you seen the drones that like fly on automatic, especially the ones that can do it in yes. formation? Like they have these things. Have you seen the ones with the lights on? Where they do like yeah, formation cool. flying. And... See, computers can sort this all out. I think. Okay, I'll just jump off a cliff then. No need for me anymore. Don't be too hard on yourself. Don't be too hard on yourself, Paul. Don't jump off a cliff. Jump off a bridge. That'd be my. Anyway, my so he's in the bar, you. and uh, his girlfriend has blue hair, and somebody has a gift for somebody. I think she has a gift for him, or he has a gift for her. Yeah, I said that was the. The Windows oh, phone, the oldest, the oldest phone, phone she can now, find. Gift for actually it. means poison in German, doesn't it? <laughs> What's the German for gift then? Hey Google, what is German for gift? In German, that's Geschenk. Geschenk. Right. So, but I was going to say at this point we learn her name, which is Nadira. Something like that. Yes. Yeah. Do you know where she was supposed well, to be from? I don't from? know. Was there need to have three A's in her name? <laughs> in the future, that's how they do it. That's how they roll with vowels. I, I'm assuming that she's from the Middle East somewhere. Oh, because maybe. her mother, yeah. as we meet her mother later on, is kind of Middle Eastern in appearance. Props to this film for setting itself in Berlin, in Germany. And well for, it's, it's very kind of multicultural, I think. It is, yeah. Well, Berlin is a very multicultural city. For once, the whole cast isn't white, which makes a change ah, for the yes, last yes. 12 teen films that we've seen. Now, so they're in a very futuristic club where everybody is stupidly confused. And I think you would be confused, too. You would say, we've come to this underground club. Are we supposed to be role-playing the reflex, Wild Boys, or Girls on Film by Duran Duran? Because that's what it looks like. It's this like, whole movie is... Like uh, a study in interior design choices and cool bar design. Yes. Now, wasn't there a, 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 a spate of 1990s vampire movies in LA where, in fact, vampires all <laughs> were like rave, rave scene people who danced underground in very kind of clunky metallic scenarios? And there was Nine Inch Nails on the, on the soundtrack. Do you remember those kind of movies? Well, it's Blade. Oh, it's thank the... you. Yes, Blade. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So trope setter that I, you're describing. I, I, here. I, I thought they were channeling, channeling a little bit of Blade in this one. Yeah, but they weren't vampires. Were they? No, they were 
Well, in Blade they were, surely. Look, we've got to address the elephant. I, I meant, I meant there was. I meant, well, sorry, let's do that. But they were channeling the aesthetic of Blade, or maybe just Freddie Mercury videos. I mean, I mean <laughs> Freddie never left Berlin in his heart, did he? Mm, I see what you're saying. Sorry, you're saying. So, what's the elephant in the room? The thing about this movie is, although we're doing it in our series of science fiction movies, and although it is ah. ostensibly is set in a futuristic Berlin, this is not a, a science fiction movie, is it? Well, one, it's not, and two, is there any reason for this? to be set in the future. You know, this could be lock, stock and rolling, smoking barrel, couldn't it? Set in London, I mean... Exactly. It is a gangster movie. And I read that it was written as a British set gangster movie. That would make a lot more sense. Yeah, It is. It is in the mould of Guy Ritchie. It's not as light-hearted, actually, as Guy Ritchie's movies. It's, no. It's not... It's, but it, it, it reminded me of the Bob Hoskins movies, uh, you know, The Long Good Friday... And Mona Lisa, yes, where he's a driver for that prostitute, or even maybe Get Carter kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So overwhelmingly oppressive, really. Is the general vibe here. It's bleak, isn't it? That's the thing about this movie. Yeah. There isn't, as you, you you identified two jokes. That was two more than I saw, really. <laughs> what was the second joke? They're talking about Leo. They said that's the mute bartender that was with Nikki. What were they talking about? <laughs> Probably just very, very small talk. <laughs> and that was the second and last joke of the movie. There you go. You don't want to. I'm glad you're waiting for get it. Get people too excited, too uh, hysterical, do you? This is a gritty gangster film noir type movie. It could easily have had a, a, a moody voiceover, it could have had saxophone music playing. In fact, the music was done again by Clint Mansell, who did Moon. Wow. Now, at this point in the movie, we're in the nightclub and they've met each other and they've given a gift. Uh, we go back the next night and uh, Nadira is harassed uh, by a villainous regular customer, maybe a good friend of the boss, but that kind of customer, who, as, as Hollywood dictates, must be a UK villain. Must be a villain with a UK accent. And also a black a black person too. So uh, there were there were two black people in this movie, and uh, the, you know they happened to be essentially the two leading straightforward villains. There was no complexity about them. They were just you know bad guys basically. So I thought that was interesting. But everyone in this film is a bad guy. True, Who's a good guy in this film. True, they are. They are. But these are just these are just people who who, who I mean the other guy was a black villain and uh, not with a UK accent but with a Russian accent you know so Hollywood has to have a, a British or a Russian villain and it seems that Hollywood's not happy with that he needs to have black Russian and British villains I don't know why you made mention of her being harassed but that harassment has nothing to do with the plot of the movie really it's incidental as far as I can tell well we do meet him later at an electronics fair for for for, for war droids or war yeah the hackers war drones yes yeah and that's the only reason I think is to set him up for a, for a second collision. But why? Why is the U U S Army in Berlin? Why exactly? Why is the U S Army in Berlin? Yeah, well, we don't know. has there been an Amish uprising, perhaps? Or... <laughs> Brutally put down by the U S. <laughs> they also say something about Germany invading all over the place. Did you miss? Did you catch that? I, I no, no, I didn't. It was just mentioned, unless I made it up and mentally invented it. But yeah, I'm sure they said something about no wonder. Germany is invading these places. So Germany is being occupied by the US Army, but Germany is invading other countries now? Mysterious. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I, I missed all of that. Uh, suffice it to say, it's a very militarised very militarised zone kind of feel. Harking back, I guess, to, to Berlin uh, after the war. You've got these two uh, US Army medic guys. One of them who is a deserter called Cactus Bill, played by uh, Paul Rudd. Uh, and his... With his... his uh, yeah, ferocious pair of mutton chops. He did. And his counterpart is called Duck. Am I right in saying? Duck, yeah. Who's also... I think he's a surgeon, but he is not a deserter. He's worked his time. I think he's just living... And he looks a, very a much... Civilian. He very, looks very much like uh, like a, a cast member from MASH. Well, that's I read that on uh, some criticism website as well. Really? Yeah. Both of them are like... They've just stepped off MASH. Yeah. Down, even down to the grey cardigan duck wears. It's like yes. straight out of the... His glasses. His glasses particularly. Uh, you know, it, it's... His whole demeanour is very mash, kind of... Uh... And Paul Rudd is playing it like he's Elliot Gould. Yes, 
He's the oddball and the live wire, whereas Duck is kind of like the slightly acerbic, slightly, uh, what would you say, analytical, intellectual kind of monkish kind of figure of Nash, you know, so. He drives around in that, like, future Jeep as well, which is, there are only two road-going, no, there are three road-going vehicles I think we see. Hmm, That's right. One of them is the street cleaner. Yes. Which gets crashed into at one point. And that's reasonably futuristic. Oh, they reuse the street cleaner. Oh, wow, well done. Yeah, obviously, once they've paid for that prop, they have to use it again, don't they? Then we've got the future Jeep that uh, Elliot Gould, (laughs) that Paul Rudd drives. It was like, if if you'd taken a Hummer and tried to make a Cybertruck out of it, that's what what it was, really, wasn't it? Yeah, that's true. It, It channels both of those things, yeah. And the third was... The third was the old-timey Mercedes that the black crime boss uh, is mm. driving around in. No, I really like this because uh, it harked back to my childhood. My uncle had one of these really long Mercedes in this particular colour of 60s or 70s blue, which is, I don't know, I can't describe it. It's slightly metallic, but not very metallic. You know, paint's going to do so much in, in those eras. But uh, for me, those leather seats uh, spoke of a certain kind of opulence. So I thought I really... it's a classic car. Oh, it's a beautiful, yeah, nice car. car. So yeah, which gets unfortunately, I have to sell, tell you, in case you missed it, it gets crashed into the street sweeper. It's been driven by a religious purist, an Amish from, person yeah, who from... doesn't understand technology. <laughs> he learns very quickly to his credit, however. He also learns to use the phone. It's a very chunky phone that that he's got that yeah, Windows phone. Yeah. When he started, when he first picks up that phone, yeah, when he's looking because his girlfriend goes missing. This is the the start of this bizarrely plain story that he's telling. His girlfriend goes missing, and then the film is him looking for his girlfriend. And also turning to carpentry for solace. It, yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he carpents, no question. He whittles a lot of love spoons. I mean, it's made slightly more interesting by the fact that he can't actually speak, so he has to go to people and gesticulate at photographs. Now, that's, you know, that's his mode of investigation, isn't it? I am an inveterate non-fan of Microsoft To Do and Microsoft Calendar and Microsoft Planner, uh, which Richard has mocked me for uh, several times. And this movie recommends the use of a diary and notebook. So I feel somehow that (laughs) my refusal to adopt these clunky attempts to be more efficient than a pen and paper uh, has been vindicated in some way. Because this is the future, and there's still... I mean, Leo is very effectively using pen and pencil, pen and paper here. No, he isn't. All he, he, all he does is doodle in it. He does a leaf rubbing of a previous message. I don't know about you, but I knew that was going to happen. I didn't. The moment he handed his pad over, and she scribbled whatever it was and ripped it out, I knew he was going to rub the, the second page. <laughs> it telegraphed that so hard. Could you do that on, the, on Microsoft To Do, Richard? You know, you could go to like deleted documents, couldn't you? And you could undelete. I mean, you could on Microsoft Word. You could go to you know restore versions, but I don't think they have that on on Microsoft Notes, on Microsoft To Do, or Microsoft whatever you call the calendar. We can engage in an experiment where we see whether we can undelete each other's notes, can't we? When he came to use his bloody notebook, he dropped his pencil on the floor. Yeah, and it wasn't, and the end was broken, and he had to steal a pen that didn't work. Yes. And that's when he found the bit of charcoal. It's hopeless, Paul. Oh, oh. So it's, oh. it's not an advert for using notepads. It's the opposite. Well, it's an advert for, for his ingenuity, which was increased by his use of, by his use of restrictive tools. I mean, if, if tools are too helpful, they stop our, you know, our brain power developing, don't they? When he, he refused, I mean, he, up... he refused. He refused to use any tools. I mean, you'd think he would have used a speak and spell, but obviously not his Amish. So he couldn't communicate even that way, could he? Couldn't type in the old speak and spell. <laughs> Sorry, you were saying when he. I'd like to see that movie, by the way, where the, the hero goes around <laughs> tapping things out on a speak and spell. <laughs> Sorry, Rich, you were saying when he. Do you think he uses power tools when he's working his wood? <laughs> you mean, does he cheat? <laughs> If you like, yes, that's what I mean. Again, you're advocating for the Amish way. Uh, <laughs> Paul's adopted the Amish way with the notebooks. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I have a graphite pencil. I'm pretty sure that's banned. Is he cheating? Yes. I mean, I, I, he's bedstead. He, he's making bedsteads, bedstands, or whatever you call them, yeah. to, to get a shag. But she comes around looking for a sympathy shag anyway, so they both shag. 
So, yeah, I don't know. Very hipster, you'd think. All this, like, this brass, brass punk kind of make it myself kind of attitude. She's quite impressed, though, when it when he shows her his he shows her his designs for a bed, and she goes, oh, a bed for us. Yeah, and then they get it's to it. Hot. They get to it. Well, no, he doesn't he then take her... Yeah, he gives her his coat and takes it outside. She's just come out of the shower, so she's got a towel on her and a coat. And he walks her outside to a shed where he's doing all this woodwork. And then they bang, and then he plows her, yeah? But he shouldn't be doing that because they're not married. But little does he know that, well, she has she has a sordid past, so to speak. Or at least a, a past that he would view as sordid. I was going to say, yeah, it's not a sordid past. It's just a past, isn't well, it? Well, one that he would disapprove of, I imagine. She says it's a sordid past. Value judgments, yeah. She she is hard on herself at the start. It's that thing, that line where she says, you know, you don't know me, I'm not worthy kind of thing. A self-esteem problem that she has. I guess that means she was abused, no doubt, by Cactus Bill. Cactus Bill, the, the doctor who, you know, takes bullets out of gangsters. Now, this is where Cactus and Leo collide properly, because Cactus has been observing Leo in the nightclub. But then uh, a cactus walks into a cafe bar. That's not the beginning of a joke. I mean, he walks into a cafe bar and Leo is already there. And that's where they meet for the, for, for, for the second but important time. The funny thing about this film is, you know, characters cross paths seemingly at random and they get more intertwined as time goes on. But like that guy who harassed his girlfriend and then he sees him at the hacking hacker's hall. Yes. And then, of course... Yeah. And after that, Cactus comes into the cafe bar by accident and says, Hey, Leo, leave the guy at the hacker's hall, leave the evil black limey alone. And it's just obvious that's not, not going to happen. Otherwise, why why put this in the script? So we know what's going to happen. He's going to run into him again kind of thing, you know. So there we go. Yeah, he has a fight with him in the bar, loses his job. and mm-hmm. Yes, he gets fired by by the uh, Russian the Russian boss, Maxim. Uh, and then there's that other... The other guy who is presumably working for Maxim, who is doing something shady with the girls in his brothel. Nikki. Nikki. I'm not quite sure what the problem there was. What he was using them on his own for his own time, or I think stealing he, from his boss. I guess is that what, well, what the deal was? I think he was taking photos of them or something. And then, so then they had to torture him. I wasn't sure what they were trying to get out of him. No, but Paul I, Rudd seemed to figure out that they weren't. Oh, they're just. Oh, they're just going to kill him. Is that the idea? I don't know. I think at this point I go. I, I kind of stopped paying that much attention. Well, no wonder it wasn't making very much sense. The, the movie doesn't hang together. That's its main problem, isn't it? No. So anyway, so Leo, after all this, being warned off not beating people up and beating people up and saying, don't meet that person again and meeting those people again by various people, Leo goes whoring or, well, he goes to see Luba, who is best friend forever of his disappeared girlfriend. Now, Luba's mm. quite a hot guy, really. Uh, and isn't it? Yeah. And but then at this point, Leo looks remarkably like the uh, endorser of well-man vitamins, world champion swimmer <laughs> Mark Foster. So you can imagine that Luba just goes down on him because I mean, who wouldn't go down on Mark Foster if you were gay? Because everybody knows that Mark Foster's gay. I, I must admit, I didn't know. I, I'm not sure who Mark Foster is. Oh, 50 meter freestyle world record holder for some time, I think. Do you know Wellman vitamins that you get in the, the gummy gummy bear vitamins that you can buy in boots? I've heard of them, yes, mm, but well, you shouldn't buy uh, multivitamins like that. It's, it's, silly. it's well, it's his product. So. Uh, Luba's a funny one because he is supposedly Nadia's uh, friend, and you'd think that therefore, well, I suppose he has an antig- antagonistic relationship with Leo, doesn't he? And near the start of the film, he asks Nadia why, why can't he speak, and she says. Oh, it's complicated. No, it's not. He had a propeller to his throat and he can't speak. (laughs) Why is that so complicated? (laughs) That's a very fair point. It is not complicated at all. If he was her friend, why was he not more open with the guy trying to look for her when she disappears? I didn't really get that. He was quite hostile towards Leo. In the early stages. Well, he, um, he thinks that Leo is not good enough for her. But she's disappeared. Wouldn't that be his primary concern, rather than he's not quite the right guy, or you can do a bit better, love? It doesn't make any sense, Paul. I think because, you know, he's a he's a man of the night, and it transpires, so is she. You know, I, I think people disappearing for a few weeks in that industry is, 
he's probably fairly normal. So he's not as concerned, I don't think. And he's quite a self-involved young fellow, isn't he? So maybe there's some issues of narcissism that refuse, uh, don't allow him to see the warning signals that his friend has been missing for some time. Hmm. But I don't think the scriptwriter was imagining that at the time. Most of the story unfolds in a sort of 10-minute breathless exposition in the end of the movie, doesn't it? Where it transpires, Paul Rudd's doctor character yes. has abducted Nadia and killed her for some reason. Because he's the father of her child. You you say that as if that's that, that reason makes sense. It doesn't make sense, no. But yes, apparently... And also, he's the dad of the, her kid. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there are many things that don't make sense in this movie. But why two well-paid doctors need to leave one of their child uh, to be babysit in the client parlour of a whorehouse is beyond me. I mean, are there no babysitters in the future? What's happened here? Can I just say there's no reason why uh, a sex worker shouldn't be a babysitter as well while she's <laughs> yeah. not busy. Sure. That's perfectly fine. Sure, I'm just, just leave the kid in the middle of, middle of the whole house, you know, where the, where the clients come in and have, uh, have somebody look after her. I mean, strange. No, here's the thing. You say, you said that they're well-paid doctors. Are they well-paid doctors? Hmm. I guess Duck is well-paid. He has a private clinic. But Cactus Bill is a deserter who is trying to, presumably trying to pay for fake passport and ID to get back to the US. Okay, fair point. But Duck does... I mean, he is researching and building his own highly robotic and highly independent prosthetic legs for children, isn't he? Yes, he must have... Uh, Some finance. ...expensive practice, yeah. It doesn't make any sense, though. It doesn't make sense that they decide to go temping bowling. You'd think that surgeons and doctors wouldn't, wouldn't do that, wouldn't you? You would. Uh, and also, you wouldn't expect men with white pupils to suddenly appear in the middle of the movie for no reason. But they do. They have nice COVID masks on, though. Uh, doing doing the right thing there. Yeah, they were just scary for no reason. Uh, again, kind of vampiric. Mm, true. Yeah, it turns out, in the end of the movie, that Cactus Bill, Paul Rudd's character, has abducted the mother of his child, who he looks after. She seems to stay with him, not her. Yeah. Uh, which, nothing wrong with that, but... It's just an observation. And he's killing her for some reason that's never properly explained. Okay, well, I th- well, we do see him become more and more irrational and less and less predictable as the movie goes on, don't we? Yeah, what the hell is his problem? Well, he's easier to get back to America from, from what is a militarised German zone, isn't he? And the closer he gets to that moment, the more erratic his behaviour becomes, like he's sabotaging himself. You know, he has he steals those peanuts and has a go at the the mole security cop guy. Yeah, he's having some sort of existentialist breakdown. Now Leo has has a Proustian existentialist crisis. He's in the swimming pool and very frustrated halfway through the movie. Now he seems to decide: Do I do I go underwater and scream out loud? This far down, or do I go a little bit further down to the bottom of the steps to the swimming pool and scream out loud there? I mean, for, as a Proust, Proustian dilemma, it's not much of a dilemma. Nobody's going to hear you, however far down you are in the water. But he does, he does seem to deliberate about that some, for some time. I, I felt for poor Leo at that point. At the end of the movie, then, I'm left with this lingering doubt about the whole thing, which is, apart from the fact it doesn't make the slightest lick of sense, if you remember, throughout the movie, he starts getting messages on his phone yes. saying, like, I'm at the hacker's hall or something else. I can't remember what else it, what the other messages were. Who was sending those Well, it turns if she'd out, been abducted and, and she was dead? It turns out it was Duck because, well, I mean, towards the end of the movie, oh, yes. his, 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 his yeah. compatriot uh, character starts treating him very badly. But before that, he's been treated a little badly also. And so he decided, he didn't realise the, the, the effect these messages would have in terms of Leo being able to find his dead girlfriend. But he did it out of a little bit of spite just to get back silently and passively, aggressively on his friend, his buddy. Yeah. Oh, so he, so Doug, Duck, sorry, Duck had her phone and he was replying like she was her. He was, he Yes. Was her. Now I think at the end we're supposed to decide that Duck killed her. But that doesn't make any, that doesn't make any sense. Why... What motivation did he have? Well, this is why they have an explainer at the end. This is why they have an explainer saying, hey, Duck sent the messages, and hey, you know, he's actually the father of her daughter, and all these things, because 
it's not because it was clever left to the end. It's because they weren't explained in the movie like they should have been. At the end, they're like, oh, Christ, it's it's not followable, this movie. Let's, let's explain what happened. So you think that Duck... It's amazing that we should have this debate at this point. Well, having both watched this film, and, and, and having read three synopses, uh, I still don't know really. I mean, in one synopsis, it says that uh, Cactus did kill his ex-wife, girlfriend, uh, Nardira, and in the other, it, it doesn't say who killed her. So, so I don't know what we're supposed to decide. Baffling. It's nice to see that libraries in the future are still very much twentieth-century modernist structures. I did like that. That was a great bit of interior design. Yes. Yeah, that library was. I think we should wrap this up then, Paul. Was there anything you liked about oh. this movie? Uh, what have we said so far? I mean, we we said we said that the storyline is just really confusing. So I didn't particularly like that. I didn't enjoy the complexity. I did enjoy some of the architecture and and the feel of Germany. You know, middle Germany. Yeah, you were saying the library was a really beautiful building. Yeah, you know, and the uh, the. The, the petrol stations in the middle of a Ger- middle German night. Uh, Grimm, now in the past and the future, that part of Germany. Uh, have you ever seen the Gladbeck hostage crisis? It, that's a movie, is it? It's either a movie or like a Heimat kind of t- TV thing where it goes on forever. And it had that kind of feel. I mean, this turned into a road movie at the end anyway. And again, they have another Sarah Connor moment where they kind of head off into... Into, into the distance, you know, towards the horizon. I don't, I'm not sure why. Uh, the only thing I liked was the very, very slow death of Cactus. I thought it was, uh, it was really nice and gruesome because he gets a, yeah. he gets a knife in the neck kind of thing. He dies mute. And in fact, Leo gets a voice box and, and winds up being able to talk. And also, uh, Duck dies in the water. Just like Leo <laughs> didn't do when you know he had the muting accident. So there's kind of it's called Duck, isn't it? It's funny, and he's called Duck. So there is kind of like a, there's a symmetry in the closure that occurs around you know Leo's trauma kind of thing. So did I like anything? Not particularly. No, to be honest with you, I think I have a problem with a lot of gangster movies in that I find them dispiriting. It makes me feel that there's no hope for humanity, you know, when all of the characters are depicted as criminal in some way. Yeah. And I don't mean minor criminals. We're not talking about people speeding or taping things off the radio. You know, we're talking about people doing, you know, being violent mostly. Yes. That's it's not good, is it, to see that world? It's might makes right kind of world. I don't like it. Yeah, I mean, the fact that Leo, Leo, Leo gets his gets his vengeance and justice by the use of a very, very blunt, violent instrument, a large piece of wood. exactly. You know, it it is vindicating a certain sort of way to respond to injustice. Um, So, again, I didn't really see what it had to do with the future or science fiction or, you know, uh, why it was set up like that. No, there wasn't much I liked about this movie. It's a colonic irrigation of a movie, you know. It kind of (laughs) built up very slowly and then all at the end there's a sort of lorry load of slurry, you know, coming out one end. The way they try to tie it all up, you know, they, they, like you were saying, you know, was it obvious who was sending the messages? No, it wasn't. And and the twist at the end, oh God, yeah, terrible. Wasn't a big fan, to be honest with you. Acting. Let's give it a score. Now, given all that, I thought Paul was really good. I thought the lead Alexander Skarsgård was good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if you put something in the confines of not being able to speak, I think, you know, they're going to have to be an actress, some some quality to to. to to carry that through the movie, you know. So, yeah, I'm going to give it an 8 for acting. I thought that was maybe its strongest feature, Richard, to be honest with you. You're probably right. I'll give it a 7, though. Okay. How about science? Well, I mean, you kind of stymied my objection to the UFO-shaped uh, drone <laughs> and the fact it didn't... S- we've, we've basically got drone deliveries. That's, That's not but that it, had a, had a, it had a huge heavy thing underneath it, which swung, or swung... <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't in any way sort of destabilised. It didn't even correct its destabilisation. had flying cars. It's got to have flying cars. But they're not probably very realistic, are they, flying cars? No. It had all of those animatronic, yeah. electronic prosthetics, as you said. It did. But now we're getting to S- we're SFX, aren't we? That, aren't we? Well, uh, it also had a holographic, transparent, fridge, fridge sort of uh, oh, yeah. interactive tablet kind of thing of the fridge but we're only talking 10 minutes into the future here this is not 
pie in the sky stuff. This is all in your IKEA day, magazine so. of the future kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A five. Well, a five. A respectable five. I'd say five is very fair. Okay. Now. So special effects then. Well, mundanely competent. We did have a vertical city. You know, uh, we did have some anim- dancing animatronics. Oh yeah, the robots. Yeah, the stripper bot. Uh, a very average five point five for me. Uh, you know, I think it's better than that. I'd go with six point five. Okay. Now, finally, global scores for what is it? Plot and storyline and dialogue, etc. Yeah, I, this is a disaster, really, isn't it? Okay, so it's not boring. I'll say that. But it is one of the worst films that we've seen, just in terms of being <laughs> co- coherent. Yeah, I think with the twist, the twist itself should be suggested somehow. Mm. Not that they give you the answer to it, but who sent those messages? You know, it's never queried. You know, it's, you know, he's never banging the phone saying, "Who is this? Who is this?" You know, it's not set up in that way where it's you're drawing attention to the fact it's pivotal that he finds out. Who sent these messages, and and somehow that could mean that the the storyline can progress, and those kind of things. The fact the complexity that it was all tied in knots and didn't really resolve itself. Uh, not great. No. And you have no real time to get to know the girl before she disappears. You know, you you've got no no stakes in that really, other than that you're told or that it is expressed that Leo likes her a lot. Yeah. So I'm gonna go for a, a three. I'm sorry about that, everybody. I'll give it a four. No, oh. but it's below, definitely below average, isn't it? Yeah. Now, what do you? Oh, sorry. So, t- final scores. What do we think about this? I'll give it a five. This is perfectly average, isn't it? I'm going to go five point five. You know, it feels like he wanted to do a different kind of movie. Yeah. But people probably said to him, "Hey, look, Moon was great. You know, love the sci-fi stuff." And <laughs> so he decided he could like mollify those. Th- those desires from people by setting an otherwise, you know, ordinary gangster story. It's, there's nothing special about this story no. as a gangster movie. I mean, I wouldn't disrecommend it. I mean, if it's free in particular, it's not a waste of you to sit down and relax to this, you know, although it's not particularly relaxing. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's not to be it's not cheerful, relaxing. <laughs> it's, it's not so no. bad as it's a waste of time. I wouldn't say that. But if you've got other movies to watch, I suggest you watch them first, you know. It's got some nice sets and nice interior design work going on. Interesting costumes. I would go six overall. Yeah, the biggest problem I have with all these kind of dystopian futures, and I think we do have a real problem in, in, in portraying not just not just underworlds as being these these violent worlds where, 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 where violence wins you through, but always consistently portraying the future as this terrifying dystopian world. Okay, you can do that, but what about the characters? There was nothing to recommend this this life to the characters. You think in a dystopian future, the system would be so sophisticated that there would be, on the personal level, you know, I would be soaring. I would feel it was great, you know, like Black Mirror. Uh, there's an mm. idea that they're on the running mills working out energy, you know, running their energy and earning points that way, but they don't realise that they're in a terrible situation. And I, I just think now, you know, to present the future... As we have been doing for 20 or 30 years now, in this kind of very bland, it's obviously dystopian, dystopian way. It's not enough anymore. We need to think more about how how characters, how are the characters in a very sophisticated future will see that future world. Well, I'm hoping that you have got a suggestion for a film that we can watch next week. I will. Uh, but before we do that, can we just talk about what do you think what do you think Leo symbolized here? Was he the death of traditional masculinity? In the future, did you, did he symbolise that? Uh, no, I thought oh. he was the embodiment of traditional masculinity in the future. Oh. It, you know, he he solved his problems the same way man uh, men have always solved their problems, right? With which is with <laughs> brute force, with a bed a bed knob. <laughs> but I mean, he, he I mean, in terms of his guardedness of his girlfriend, his loyalty, his sincerity, and his adherence to a moral code, whether you think. The, uh, the Amish moral code is worth. I mean, these are very traditional aspects of a man compared to the other men. He doesn't in... adhere to his Amish moral code. He, he uses a phone. She forces him to use a phone. Well, look, a code is a code or it's not. He's mostly living his Amish ways anyway, isn't he? You know, he's... But in any case, I mean... He drives a car. He does. He, he throws all of his moral code away <laughs> in order to find his girlfriend. 
True. True. Who's, who he's not married to, but he's shagging almost certainly. Okay. Well. I'm, okay. Well, I guess his tradition of mas- his traditional masculinity has been has died a thorough death in this in this uh, vertical skyscraper of a, of a future city. The geisha that you're referring to is played was played by Dominic Monaghan. Really? Who is one of the hobbits in The Lord of the Rings. No way. Oh. Right. So, Richard, you're asking me, do, 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 do I have <laughs> a movie to suggest that we watch this week? Yes, because if you don't... Because I don't. I'm going to pull a fast one on you. Oh, you don't. That's why I've been stuttering to, 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 to not to get to the end of this sentence where I have to admit that I haven't chosen anything for us to watch let me save you then and let me say that we should watch we should watch tenet at the cinema just a quick interruption here do you know the word pataphysical no i've never heard that word before paul mccartney was really into pataphysical ideas that's the idea that a metaphor can become real so the idea that like you know in bugs bunny when he when when he gets shocked an exclamation mark appears on his head he picks out the exclamation mark and hits somebody with it that's pataphysical right so I had a pataphysical moment there, but nonetheless, should, where, what, what kind of movie house is safe to go to these days? That's not my problem. I mean... What kind of movie house is open? Well, they are open. It's open in cinemas. Tenet is available. Buy tickets and go see it. Okay. What do you think? That's a great... Thumbs up? That's a great idea, yeah. We could try and watch it. You know, at the same time, in the same place, if you like. But we could. It just yeah. it kind of breaks traditions that we were reviewing a seminal, relevant piece of art, as opposed to something that's been out for years and probably people are not interested in. We're heading into new territory here, Richard. It is new territory. I don't think it's any worse than trying to review Dune. <laughs> no, no. Well, yeah, I'll agree. Good. I'll agree to watch Tenet. What's Tenet about? For those of us that don't know, including me, I think. Although. I think it's about a guy who can reverse time or go backwards in time. Oh. Things happen backwards for him. That's old. But I'm not entirely sure. I was going to say, that old horse nut. That, that, old, <laughs> that old shoosh. I was going to say, that old seashell. That old, what am I, what am I trying to say here? Is that old. Horseshoe? No. <laughs> that old. I don't know. Help. Right. Well, until next week then, when we will be talking about Tenet. It's decided. Yeah, Tenet. Yes. Time once again for your most amazing music. In three, two, two and one. one. Thank you.